Hello, everyone, and welcome into another fantastic special Tuesday edition of Down the Field. I am your host, Andrew Robinson, broadcasting, as I always do, from Atlanta, Georgia. And it is here. March is here. The madness has begun. We've already seen a few tickets punched, a few dreams shattered, and now we wait for, I guess, this will be Tuesday morning, so five days from now, it will be Selection Sunday, and this is when the world sits on its head for, or stands on its head for a while, and just sits there and waits for the selection committee to reveal. And by the way, great news. I saw today that if you remember last year's selection show, they just put all the teams down and then they filled in the bracket by, by, by region. And it sucked. It was the first time they've ever done that. And it was terrible. That won't be happening this year. They're going back to their old style, going game by game, filling in the, the bracket Logo by logo, it is magical. It is truly one of the coolest things in sports to watch Greg Gumbel and the CBS panel sit up there and deliver to us the best month of the year. And there's no question about it, March is the best month. Uh, we've had this, you know, spring, fall, winter, summer. You know, you can have that debate all day long, but the best month of the year is March. It's all going on right now. You got so much going on, and uh, it is going to be exciting to watch this year's selection show because really, there's so many teams that can win it. Uh, but before that, we get a week of conference tournaments, and like I said, we've already seen some tickets punched, some are in limbo, and then the majority of your major conference tournaments don't start till this week, which is always a lot of fun. So. You know, you look around, and you've got teams on the bubble in these Power Five conferences, NC State. Clemson, Indiana, TCU. What can these type of teams that are sitting on the bubble do to advance their cause to get their ticket punched to the 2019 NCAA tournament? Yeah, I know this. It's going to be one of the best tournaments we've ever seen because I don't think that there's a standalone team that anyone all year can point at and be like, yep, they're by far the best team and it's not even close. I really don't think that there's that team this year. So it is going to be... um, very interesting to say the least. I, I do think that there's a few teams that have separated themselves, and I think that they're all in the top 10. Um, I don't think that there's anybody that everybody's sleeping on this year. I, re- I really don't think so. Um, but, you know, that's the best part about the tournament. No one knows at this point. It's it's one of the best times of the year. Speaking of the tournament, we have on a very, very, very special guest can't uh, thank Frank enough for coming on. His name is Frank Fowler, uh, at Frank Fowler SEC on Twitter. Uh, a really fantastic dialogue regarding the SEC. Not basketball, not baseball, not football, all of it. Um, Frank takes us through what he saw this year, what he expects to see in the tournament. Talks a little SEC baseball and football as we approach um most teams are in full swing now for spring practice, but Frank dives into that a little bit too. Really knowledgeable guy, really fantastic guest. Uh, he is a producer for SEC This Morning, uh, kind of does it all, and uh, really appreciated him coming on, had a great conversation. You know, you guys get used to me talking. Frank, you know, I, I, I talked to him for maybe two minutes before um, he came on the podcast, and I had a feeling it was going to be a good conversation. It was fantastic. And uh, and you guys are in luck. Frank does most of the talking, so you don't have to hear my voice 
uh, as you normally do. But it was a really good conversation, and Frank kind of dives in. And I'm going to dive into, uh, we're going to do an SEC semifinal and a head preview. Um, that will be done on, I'll probably do that. Wednesday evening, but it won't be released till Friday. So I guess the first two rounds will already be decided by that point. So I'm either going to sound really smart or really stupid, probably really stupid the way that things have been going for me recently. <laughs> but um, really excited about this SEC tournament and the ACC tournament. One thing that nobody's talking about in the ACC tournament is most likely the two and the three seed in both the ACC and the SEC uh, is probably going to be the best game. I think I think Kentucky and Tennessee in the semifinals, I think that that's probably what we're in store for, uh, barring an upset. But I think that it's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, we'll get more into that game um, come, uh, I guess, Friday. But more importantly in the ACC, I guess not more importantly, but for, for one seed's sake, both these teams have potentially get a one seed, even with a loss. Um, that's how crazy and love the – so far, the AP and ESPN has been with Duke and North Carolina this season, especially Duke. But this Duke-North Carolina game, North Carolina has taken it to Duke twice. It is incredibly difficult to beat a team three times, especially in conference tournament play. So we'll see if that matchup ends up happening in the semifinals of the uh, ACC tournament. But a lot of other good games and a lot of other conference tournaments. The Big Ten, I think, is the most wide-open league of any. Uh, maybe the Big Ten and the Big 12. And I guess the Pac-12. Good gosh. I I'm done with the Pac-12. We're done talking about the Pac-12 on this podcast. But the Big Ten and the Big 12 are really wide open. There's not a team that you look at and you say, okay, they're definitely going to win it. In the Big Ten, I guess you could probably say Michigan State or Michigan. But they just played and it was a great game. And I, I think that that's the best part about these conference tournaments is you get so many games that you want to see and hope to see. And then every once in a while you get nice upsets. And, uh, and then you, and then, you know, here we are, we end up in the NC2A tournament. So really four weekends separate a national champion from where we are today. Really it's four weekends. It's this weekend, then it's next weekend, then it's the second weekend and then it's final four weekend. It, it's going to be awesome. Uh, also shouts out to Iona, the MAAC champions. They beat Monmouth today. Um, so they're going to the tournament. I think it's like their sixth straight year, little power in that league. So shouts out to Iona. But this gets me to my main point today, and then we'll get to the Frank Fowler interview. But I get that there's basketball junkies. I really do. Um, there, there's college basketball junkies. I like to consider myself one, but here's the thing. You get some college basketball junkies that say that they enjoy the first week of conference tournaments better than the second. And I just have to take a pause and be – just say no. Nope. Nope. I understand. I, I, I Trust me. I appreciate watching the MACC, the MAC in general, the Mountain West, the, uh, the AAC, the Summit League, you know, all these great leagues that put these teams in that every once in a while make, make some noise in the NCAA tournament. But the facts are still the facts, and that is if you polled nine or ten well, – why would I say nine? Why on – who would ever do nine? Ten – college basketball fans and said, would you rather watch the ACC final, the SEC final, the Big Ten final, 
the Mountain West final and the Summit League final. You have to rank them. I would guarantee the Mountain West and the Summit League are at the bottom in 10 out of 10. And then if you open it up to 100, that's where you'd get probably the one or two people. But here's the deal. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. I know they're playing for more, really, because once you get past the first round of these mid-majors, or I'm sorry, these Power 5 conferences, you know, usually the week are sorted out, and outside of the Pac-12, most of those teams are going dancing anyway. And in these mid-majors, it, nothing is final until the, you know, the, the literally the nat, or the, the champion of the conference tournament is declared, and that team is going dancing. Every once in a while, you get an at-large, but very rarely. And so you sit here, to, uh, you know, and you think about these these conference tournaments. And I've had a blast watching them. You know, there's nothing better than, than Tuesday night action. You know, you think you lose it with college football. Oh, no, it's still here for college basketball, uh, just a little bit different. Um, but I do think that there is a huge difference in the quality of play. And I think the, the – the, uh, the significance of these conference tournaments for the bigger tournaments. And and you'd have a lot of people that would say, no, no, no. How can it be bigger than punching a ticket? No, I think that it's bigger because the winner of the SEC tournament this year is getting a one seed, unless it's LSU. If Tennessee wins, they're a one. If Kentucky wins, they're a one. I don't think LSU is going to win. What if Auburn wins? What if Auburn comes back and wins the SEC tournament? Where is Auburn? They've hit stride. They are on fire right now after a good win over Tennessee last weekend. So the question now becomes where do these teams, you know, that are fighting for eight and nine seeds, how can they move up to five, to the four line? You know, th- those are huge differences. Because in, in all seriousness, Iona, that's great. You've won six conference tournaments. You're going back. You're going to get beat in the first round. It's just happening. I'm sorry. It is. Um you know, uh, the only the only mid-major this year that I really think has a shot to make some noise is Wofford. Uh, but I still think that they can get beat in the first round. So uh, all that said, anybody that thinks that they're just going to roll past Auburn like you would Iona, that's just not true. And Auburn has a lot more at stake, in my opinion. And I, I really think they do. If Auburn can get off of the eight line or the seven line and keep working down, they're much more dangerous to go deep in this tournament. And that's what it's about, really, in my opinion. I appreciate the mid-major conference tournaments. I love watching them, but it's just not the same as even the second and third rounds of these power conference tournaments. So with that, that is my, my kind of spiel for today. Uh, we will have a full SEC tournament and ACC tournament. I guess we can do Big Ten and Big 12. I'll do some research. Uh, we will have all those and NFL free agency news coming on Wednesday's podcast. But for now, let's get to Frank Fowler. Again, Frank, really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we can do this again. But in the meantime, here's Frank Fowler. Hello, everyone, and welcome back into Down the Field. I am Andrew Robinson, and now I have the pleasure and honor of being joined by Frank Bauer of the SEC, I guess the SEC This Morning crew, the uh, the Sirius XM, the, the primetime deal here. Frank, thanks for coming on and spending a few minutes with us. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's always a great time of the year. It's tournament time. It's March Madness. Uh, and for me, I really love conference tournaments as well, so... This SEC tournament is going to be 
I think one of the best ones we've seen in a while with a couple teams I think have a chance to win, all, going all the way down to the sixth seed. As you've you know kind of been watching this season, what what do you really think about the uh, the way this term is going to shake out? Well, it goes back to the initiative that I think the conference took a couple of years ago when they really were striving to bring in some good coaches to take over at a couple of programs that really needed it. And for Kentucky, this is nothing new. And for, I guess maybe you could say Arkansas, because they've had a little bit of success over the past couple of seasons. But for some of these other programs that really needed, you know, that rejuvenation, I, I, I think that that is this is the end result of everything that kind of led up to that. And so you look at everything that really happened at Ole Miss. And I, I think Kermit Davis right now definitely has to be at least in the top two for consideration of coach of the year. He's been unbelievable. Picked finish or picked finish last in the conference. And for them to be in a position that they're in is unbelievable. Mississippi state, you can't, you know, really underestimate the job that Ben Howland's done. He's been fantastic. I really am intrigued, obviously, by what Frank Martin and his South Carolina team can do. I know they had a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, but they've bounced back. They've had a little bit of an inconsistent road here leading up to the tournament. It's been a little bit bumpy, but I love that. Obviously, everything going on with LSU speaks for itself in terms of how intriguing it's been. And then Mike White and his Florida team, I mean, I I, I, I can't, you know, really get a pulse on them. I, I don't think anybody can, but at any point in time, they can show up and play as a unit. And so that's what excites me the most. But like I said, you know, we can go on about how good the conference has been this year. But I think when you look at the way the field is set up this year, this is a product of everything that was done to get these guys into these programs and into these systems to get them back on track and make them competitive. And that's why the SEC this year has hands down been the most competitive conference in basketball. We're going to get to watch some great games here in Nashville coming up in the next couple of days. I agree with you. And I, I, especially with your last point there, and this has been something that's kind of irked me as an SEC fan all season. It just seems like the conference as a whole isn't getting the love that it probably should be. Do you think that that's because of the the five, you know, let's say five to ten years in the mid-2000s to the mid-teens where it seemed like a lot of these programs like Tennessee and Missouri and South Carolina and even even Florida to an extent were, were on a, a lifeline? And uh, is that the the uh, the thought process that's still among a lot of college football or college basketball writers and, and, uh, and opinion makers? Maybe. And, and that's, you know, if that's, if that's really what they think and that's what they kind of still continue to believe, then I would kind of question how much basketball they've watched this year, because <laughs> if, if that's it, and, and if that's not a shot at them, but I think that's a narrative that has started to become old and really started last year. I mean, this, this whole thing with the conference just being as competitive as it's been, I, I think you can even go back a couple of years when you look at the success that some of these programs have had in terms of rebuilding and, and especially this season. So, you know, that narrative, I, I guess is going to exist maybe for a little while longer. I don't know why it doesn't really make sense to me at all. Um, because really, I mean, it, it, I guess 
those types of people are the ones that think that the SEC will always have this blueprint of being a football conference and will have this identity. But the reality of the situation is there's still some football programs right now in the SEC that have not been successful for a little while and are still trying to get back on their feet and get everything moving back in the right direction. For basketball, that's not really the case. And there are a couple of teams that struggled this year. Obviously, Vanderbilt struggled. Mizzou struggled. Alabama has started to run into some roadblocks, although I still have confidence in their lineup. Um, So, you know, if that's the traditional narrative that they've stood by for as long as they have, then I, I, I guess maybe in some places that narrative is always going to exist. But, you know, really, if that's the way that people portray the conference in terms of how they are in basketball, then I would say that they probably need to do a little bit more research and they're not super educated on just how good this conference has been, especially this year. I agree with you hundred uh, percent. And uh, you know, one of those shining spots for the league this year before the last, let's say, you know, five days was LSU and will Wade. And now they've hit a tremendous roadblock. What do you think is next for this LSU team just for this season? And then moving forward into the post into the off season where more than likely they're probably going to have to make a coaching change, at least at some level. Um, but they've still got the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament to go. There's a lot of good basketball left for them. Well, first of all, I think that Joe Oliva and the administration handled the situation the right way. And when you looked back at the way that everything kind of started before that Vanderbilt game this past Saturday – with the fans booing Joe Oliva as he was walking in to go sit down on his seat, and then you had the free Will Wade chance. I was a little disappointed, honestly, in the LSU fan base for reacting that way and kind of acting like that nothing is really going on here. And, and uh, you know, it's I, I guess it's this thing, and you know, you got to look at it from the sense of this is America, and obviously this is one of those things where we're gonna have to see what happens to the end. But there has been, from what we've seen, some pretty strong evidence to suggest that something went on there. What it is in, in, in full, we won't know for a little while. But I think the way they handled it has been good. They wanted to get out in front of it and kind of make a statement that says, you know, we're cooperating and trying to fix this the best that we can. So in terms of where they go next year, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where the investigation is going to have to conclude and we're going to have to figure it out. I think there's been some things that you've seen in the story that would indicate that they knew, you know, that once they got busted for this, it was going to be kind of hard to cover it up. Um, But again, we we don't know. And so that's one of those things with LSU that it's just going to have to be a timetable with Will Wade. Um, But obviously just based off the way everything's going, it's certainly going to be something you're going to have to keep your eye on in terms of, where they're going to go in the tournament and where things could kind of lead once they get into the NCAA tournament. I still have a lot of confidence in their lineup. Uh, I think that you look at the way that they've been able to play as a unit. I, I can't even emphasize just how impressed I've been with Nas Reed, and he's going to be a great pro. And he's grown a lot, and, and, and the fact that he can mix it up and do so many different things with this game is what I think makes him so dangerous. But obviously I trust Tremont Waters, and I trust – really everybody that plays over 20 to 25 minutes for them. What's I think going to be the real question here is I'm not sure that they have been tested yet when it comes to the adversity, because really when all of this hit last week and everything came out, the final game that they had was against Vanderbilt who didn't want a conference game this season. So they were going to win that game regardless. Vanderbilt just was having a horrible year. They were going to win that game regardless. So it is going to be interesting to see how they 
kind of come together here once they get into Nashville and just how they kind of respond to this because they, they responded strong against a team that we know has not really been very good this year, but there's, there's a couple of things that we're going to have to watch, especially now they have an interim coach, Tony Benford, that's going to take over and how do they respond to that? Does anything change? That's a tough adjustment to make this late in the season, but I have confidence in their lineup and I think that they have really still the makeup on that roster. Nothing's changed in terms of the talent they have. I think they have the the talent on that roster to make a run at the Final Four. I'm serious about that. I, I, I think that they are loaded. I think they have depth. I think they know how to play with one another. I think that they know each other's strengths, and I think they know each other's weaknesses, and I think that's what makes them so good. And so they they have been in sync for a while, and I still have a lot of trust in their lineup. I think that we're just going to have to keep an eye on and see how they do in terms of responding to adversity when we get to Nashville this week, because like I said, I, I, I'm just not sure that that first game after all this kind of ensued against Vanderbilt is a true test of where they're at mentally. So it's certainly going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Right. You know, some teams will take that and run with it uh, for, for momentum and, and for, uh, you know, positive reinforcement. And some teams can, can, uh, can falter, but if any indication was given on Saturday, uh, the Tigers are the ones cutting down the nets. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to be the one seed in Nashville, which will start on Wednesday night, and we'll transition into that. Tennessee, Kentucky, and LSU are, are, the, are the, the three teams that everyone thinks has a shot to win this thing. Uh, Tennessee and Kentucky will play in the semis. We'll get to that here in a second. Who's your biggest sleeper moving into the SEC tournament this weekend in Nashville? What team do you think has a, has a shot that really nobody's talking about? Well, I don't want this to sound like a prisoner of the moment type thing, but I have to say I was very impressed with the way that the Auburn Tigers played against your boys. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, it, for them to kind of come together and, and do that, especially at home on senior day, was not only encouraging because it's something that I think we've needed to see from this team for a long time, but it did showcase the potential that they have shown a couple of times throughout this year that they have to play really good basketball. So, for me, it's it's hard to say one team that stands out after you talk about LSU, Tennessee, and Kentucky, but I think that Auburn does have enough experience and enough depth that they could be dangerous, and I think that there's somebody they're going to have to watch for. I still think that South Carolina is a NCAA tournament team, and it's just a shame that the way that everything went in the beginning of the season. I Chris Silva, man, you cannot say enough good things about him. No, you can't. He's double, no, he's a double-double machine. He has been so fun to watch. And quite honestly, I, their coach, Frank Martin, is not only one of the more likable guys, I think, in the entire conference, but somebody that you just know is capable of taking his team to that next level in the biggest moment. So – because of that, I would say it's probably South Carolina because when they have played together and they have shown what they're capable of doing, it has been beyond impressive. And and, and I've just loved that when they kind of hit that rough patch in the beginning of the season, they bounced back strong. They, they had a little bit of adversity, but people have to remember they're young. They're a young team and they're still learning and they're going to have bumps in the road. But the number one thing will always come back to Frank Martin. I, I, I trust him just as much as I really trust a lot of guys that have been in big moments like he has. And I'm not going to say I'm putting him at the level of Cal in terms of, you know, 
where he can elevate a team. But I, you, you know, he he did take a team in the Final Four, and so it, you have to remember that that was just a few years ago, and he has right. done a lot of successful things in the postseason his time at Kansas State. So they're my X factor, and and not just because of the talent that is on that lineup and in the experience that they have. But I just I love what Frank Martin is capable of doing, and I think that he is going to lead them deep into the tournament. And I would not be surprised to see them playing Saturday and, and maybe even Sunday. And you know, it's funny you say that because this is you know the same the same core group at South Carolina um, yeah. on in terms of of coaching that led that South Carolina team two years ago to the Final Four, and this was in similar circumstances. They were. I think they're, what would they, maybe a 7C, maybe even higher than that, and were able to go all the way to the Final Four when everybody continued to pick against them. Uh, they picked against them early in conference play, and they were able to bounce back. I, I would have to agree with you. I think South Carolina, um, if you just look across the board at who do I not want to play in my first round for a team that has a double, or you know anybody for that matter, it, it's probably the Gamecocks. Yeah, I just I think that he – He's so good with resonating with his players and kind of teaching them, you know, what needs to be done at this particular time. And so for those guys that are going to be in there that are young, that are still trying to figure it out, and that doesn't obviously apply to guys like Chris Silva, but for guys that are there, they're still trying to figure out, you know, what it takes to be successful in these big moments. And for these freshmen, you know, they, they, they entered into a time where – you know, the conference was incredibly competitive and all of these games that they continue to have were must watch games every night just because of how good it's been. And so I really do trust that, that Frank is going to be able to help them get going. I, I, I love what they got from AJ Lawson. He's been great. I, I think he's an X factor on the stretch. And so it's going to be good. I, I, I'm ready to watch them play, and I'm excited to see what their, you know, their potential uh, kind of looks like as we head into the Nashville. Yeah, and, you know, another great storyline, um, barring an upset, the, uh, the semifinal game, uh, the second semifinal game is most likely going to be between Tennessee and Kentucky, and they have given us two – uh, games that I don't think either fan base will forget for a little while. Um, one in Lexington and one in Knoxville. Totally different ends of the spectrum there. I expect a third. if they are to meet for a third time, it'll be a little bit different than the first two. Uh, I imagine Nashville will probably be, as it usually is, probably 60% Kentucky fans and maybe 40% Tennessee fans. And just another great showing from two of the best teams in the conference and really the country. What do you expect? If that is our semifinal matchup, which could possibly be the best game in this tournament. Yeah, a couple of things that that stood out to me when they squared up against each other. One, Tennessee could have the advantage if Admiral showed up and played at the level that people know he's capable of playing at every single night. Unfortunately, that's been one of those things where they've gotten it sometimes from him this year and they've other nights haven't. And so... That's got to be one of those things where if he's playing at the level that we know that he's capable of playing at, that's when Tennessee becomes very dangerous. But, you know, a couple of things that stood out to me the last time that they played in Knoxville, I think Jordan Bone is the best pro prospect on that team. And when he's playing at a level like he was against Kentucky and like we've seen him play at multiple times this year, he's somebody that can't be stopped and he had his way with Ashton Higgins and, and it was one of those things where they're going to really have to figure out 
to eliminate that from happening again. It's that simple. And, and, and that's easier said than done with him because he's so quick off the dribble. His defense is fantastic when he's hot and in the rhythm and he can shoot. Um, he, he, he's just one of those guys that when he's in his zone, he's very tough to stop. And so for, so for Ashton Haggins, it's tough because it's, it, it, there's a freshman that I think is one of the best defenders in the entire country. I agree. And it kind of had his way with a lot of guys that he was going up against this year in terms of other guards. But for, for Jordan Bone, when he's in that zone, I don't think there's a lot of guards across the country that can match up with him at all. And so I, I, I think it, it, what makes this so difficult, too, to kind of predict where this matchup might go is Grant Williams has been amazing. And, and I do think that he's going to probably end up winning the Naismith player of the year. But when PJ Washington is playing as strong as he does on the defensive end, in terms of defensive rebounds, he's capable of getting that interior presence. They need to get some good, strong interior presence from Nick Richards again, too. And, and that can't be stated enough when he's protecting the rim and, and they have him playing at a high level like that. That's when it gets really good. So there's a couple of questions that I have. Will PJ Washington show up and play like that guy that really started to dominate down the second half of the stretch of the season and be there to kind of limit Grant Williams from getting the opportunities that he wants? Because you know that with him, it's consistency. Grant Williams, I mean, every, every night he comes ready to play. You know you're going to get at least 15 from him, probably eight, nine boards. And it's going to be more than that because he knows what this moment means and he's going to rise to the level of occasion. So if there's anything you can take to the bank, it's that he's going to be ready to go. Um, so how Kentucky's big men respond to him is going to be a huge question to me. With Jordan Bone, again, it, it's that's another thing that that matchup just intrigues me the most when you look at these two teams and the way that their roster's made up. I will also say that for Tennessee – they're going to have to really hone in on Tyler Hero, who has gotten just markably better as the season has gone by. I think he's going to get the SEC Freshman of the Year. And that, there's another guy. When he's in his own, especially in the corner or if he's coming off a screen or if you basically let him get open in any circumstance, is dangerous. And I really, really have been impressed with the way that he has grown and performed. Coaching, I mean, it's a wash. I mean, you have two guys that have been – at the highest level of their games all year. And, and I think that they both have an idea of what they're going to have to do to shut each other's, you know, shut both teams down. Uh, you know, it's tough too, because it's like you, you look at how things kind of unfolded towards the end of the year. I don't like that loss that Tennessee had to Auburn. And, and, and I know that, you know, that people will say, well, you're being prisoner of the moment. Again, it's not that it's that, you have got to close out these regular season games, especially when there's so much on the line. You had a chance to be number one seed. You've got to close those games out with a on a high note and, and secure these types of things that can make your life easy in, in a circumstance where everything's going to be so tough. So, um, I I I question that Kentucky. They had a little bit of a rough patch against Florida in the first half, and they bounced back and they were doing fine. But you know. When it comes down to it, though, if Reed Travis isn't playing, I'm going to give it to Tennessee. I just, I, I, I just am, and it, because the team has been so different without him, especially down low, and it's one of those things too where the young guys have fed off his energy and his experience, and, and just how active he is around the rim and how he knows exactly where to be at, you know, right place, right time. That's Reed Travis. And when he's not in there and he's not anchoring that front court, it becomes a problem. And so if Reed Travis isn't playing, I'm going to give that matchup to Tennessee. If it's 
if he is in there, your guess is as good as mine. I, 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 I that's that because you know that's that's the, I mean that's the fairest answer you can give when you judge the way that everything went. You know, when when the way that everything kind of happened between the two of them when they played. So both games were lopsided results. And so because of that, um, I think that's probably going to happen again. And I, I wouldn't say lopsided, but I could see Tennessee winning by 10 points or more if Reed Travis is not playing. And so that's that's and that's going to be huge for Kentucky down the stretch too in the NCAA tournament if they don't have him. He means so much to that team. And you've seen just how much it's hurt to not have him be in there in that lineup. Right. And, and you know, going going off your point there, this Tennessee team, you know, we knew that it, our schedule was backloaded. Uh, yeah. th- there were portions of the middle of the schedule in conference play where we were winning by 10 to 12, but you just didn't feel like they had it. Um, th- and that resulted uh, in the absolute shellacking that Kentucky gave Tennessee back in February, and then it seemed like Tennessee kind of rebounded a little bit. Then they got hurt by LSU, but that game, I think that they let it go quickly and were able to bounce back, beat Mississippi State, and then hand, you know beat Kentucky again, then end the season by beating Mississippi State. And then that Auburn game, I agree with you, just a lot of things didn't go their way. They turned the ball over a lot. And, and you know, a coach like John Calipari is going to look at that and say, okay, this is how they attacked them. Uh, Auburn went into a, a zone a couple times, forced us to shoot unnecessary shots. You know, we'll see how that all shakes out. But this Kentucky team, I think if you ask the majority of Tennessee fans, who do you not want to see in the entire country at this point? I think it's going to be Kentucky, and it's for the reasons that you outlined. And, it, you know, this this Ashton Hagens and Jordan Bone matchup, I, I'm to, almost to the opinion where whoever wins that matchup is probably going to win this basketball game. I thought that Bone won it in Knoxville. And I thought that Kentucky is an all-around team, and definitely Higgins in, in Lexington did a fantastic job. Yeah, and and you know it's it's funny it's you say that about Tennessee, but I think Kentucky fans would say the same thing. <laughs> uh, both both teams have given each other nightmares, and they they have made you know they the, the way that both of those have unfolded, they've definitely been on each other's minds. But yeah, I mean, and and that's the type of matchup too that as a college basketball fan you dream of having when you see these two guards that have such high intensity and, and, and play with such a strong motor. And, and especially for somebody, the casual fan that doesn't watch it as much, but sees two guys that are out there giving it their all every single game uh, that play incredibly strong defense that are hustling as soon as the ball tips. That's a matchup that is not just good for basketball. It's good for entertainment right. because they both, because they're both not only fun to watch, but they're both, incredibly talented at what they do, but they're both leaders just in different ways. And so, and and I think obviously that's going to be one of the better matchups to watch in the SEC tournament, but I think that's going to be one of the better matchups if they find each other again, in the NCAA tournament, which considering the way that everything's gone this year, they probably will just by the, you know, (laughs) luck of it. Um, I, I, it'll be one of the better matchups to watch in basketball. You know, that's what happens when the SEC gets as good as it has in basketball matchups like this, not just become must watch stuff, in the SEC, it becomes must-watch stuff in the NCAA tournament entire field. Right. You know that that's 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 where it becomes must-watch stuff. When you have teams that are competing against each other at that high of a level every single night, that's when it becomes must-watch. And so it's it's one of those things that I think even fans outside of the SEC are going to be jumping up and down if that matchup does happen again. 
And both games have been nationally televised on ESPN and primetime and then on CBS the second time. So I think that there's some familiarity now with these two programs, which is nice also. So yeah. we're looking forward to a great SEC and NCAA tournament. Let's switch gears quickly, uh, kind of get toward the end here, wrapping it up. I know you got places to be. And uh, if you had to rank right now in the SEC the sports of football, basketball, and baseball, where the SEC is, what is their best and what is their worst? I, I, I'd have to say that this is probably the best it's ever been, uh, or at least right now in this point in the season, or at least in a long time in baseball. Basketball showing tremendous potential, and everybody knows the football success. Where would you rank these three uh, sports for this conference? Yeah, baseball, you're right, is absolutely number one. Tim Corbin's team at Vanderbilt, I, I think when it's all said and done, will be regarded as the best team, not just in the SEC, but in the country. They, they've been amazing. Um, you look at everything that Mike Bianco's done at Old Miss. They've been such a pleasure to watch. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with Crystal Monas at Mississippi State in his first year, but I have a good feeling about what he's going to be able to do. And it, that stadium, I don't know if you've seen it yet, is is unbelievable. It's they, incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, Arkansas is great. Dave Van Horn's been awesome. Obviously, LSU is a program that speaks for itself, you know, and, and, and I think they, they had a little bit of a rough weekend, but it's one of those things where, like, did they have a rough weekend? Yes. Is it LSU baseball, and are they going to bounce back? Yes. Right. <laughs> um, Florida, you know, it's like, and, and, and then it, but, I mean, honestly, going down the entire list, like, Florida, they, they have obviously consistently been there. I would like to see them, though, kind of get back to the level that they were at. Last year, it kind of felt like they were coasting a little bit down the stretch of it. And for a team that had as much talent as it had, I kind of expected a little bit more for them last year. So, you know, Florida baseball is a staple, too. But they need to find a way to bounce back. Georgia's going to be good. South Carolina is going to be good. Tennessee is having an incredible start to their season. Tony Vitello is doing an awesome job. Um, Kentucky just got a new stadium. And I and I love Nick Mingione. I think he's doing a great job, you know, reshaping the culture there. He was presented with a little bit of a tough circumstance and has not only taken the program to a level that I think that he wanted it to be, but a level that a lot of people didn't expect that he was going to be able to get it to so fast. So um, with Mizzou, there's another theme, too. And that's one of those things people just think, you know, because of everything that kind of happened with Kelly Bryant, Mizzou's also possibly facing the same sanctions in baseball as they are in football. Right. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I have confidence in their squad. They're there, but you know that's that's what tells you about how good this conference is in baseball. When Mizzou has been, you know, pretty consistent in a solid program, is kind of towards that middle of the pack, towards that like upper part of the lower pack. Um, so and, and it's just like you, again, that just shows you. In, in Texas A and M, the same way, um, they they had a solid season last year, but weren't picked very high to go you know, super far in the uh, conference this year either. But it's it's like, you know, you give a team like that with that much talent a reason to play at that high of a level every night, they're going to find a way. So right. baseball is the highest, no doubt. Basketball is great. Football is going to be there, I think. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to say that it's going to be, but there's just too many question marks right now. You know, Matt Luke at Ole Miss finally now has his recruiting restrictions lifted and You've already seen a ton of kids that have expressed interest to go play there. It's still going to take probably another two years for them to get to playing at a competitive level. 
So, you know, the jury's still kind of out on that one. Arkansas, same thing. I love what Chad Morris has done, though. I mean, he's killing it in recruiting. And Hunter Henry's brother, the younger kid there that went, I can't remember his name. It might be Hudson Henry. He was the number one tight end in the country. Arkansas kid got recruited by a ton of schools to go play for them. Turned them all down, stayed at home, and went to Arkansas. So I thought that that was a huge win for them and just an indication of, of where that program's going. And not only that, but the fact that they now have two solid transfer quarterbacks that are in there right now. Right. And start on Ben Hicks. That's going to be something to watch. Tennessee, again, I, Jeremy Pruitt, I – is he the guy? And I think you probably can answer that just as well as anybody. <laughs> is he going to be the guy that can get Tennessee football back to where they want to go? Uh, how does South Carolina bounce back after what in some many expect to be was kind of a mediocre season? And, and then there's other question marks. Can Kentucky sustain the success that they had last year? Can Alabama bounce back from what was a tough loss with as much talent as they're going to have, but they're going to have to replace a bunch of people on defense. Can they bounce back? And so, they, I, again, all those questions that I just outlined are kind of why I have them at number three. Um, but, yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I think in order of where it is right now, baseball, it's incredible. They are, are dominating on a nightly basis. Basketball, the resurgence that it's found has been amazing. And then football. But football's close, and it's just going to take a little bit more time. But if, if, if baseball and basketball can stay the way that they have for the past two or three, you know, two or three years and keep it going and then catch it, football catches up, and you have all three playing at that level. I mean, every other conference might as well just not compete, right? <laughs> right. And it, I mean, I can't even imagine if you would have told an SEC fan in 2013, you know, as recent as that, that football would probably be your worst sport of all the three that you do. I think you probably would have gotten a lot of snares and, uh, and, and no callbacks, but I think right now yeah. you're right, and that's just the way that that speaks to the depth and the quality of the programs um, that 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 the SEC has brought in. And Greg Sankey's done a fantastic job of getting this conference back uh, to where it should be at the top. And uh, okay, we'll end with two questions. I ask this of most of my guests: What is your favorite sports memory from growing up in college recently? Doesn't have to be from a Kentucky memory, but just your favorite sports memory uh, yeah. to date. I grew up in Ohio, and I love all three Cleveland sports teams. I love the Cavs, the Indians, and the Browns. So no doubt it was when the Cavs won the championship in 2016, just because not only was it something that I've waited for to see my entire life, but it's something that my dad didn't see since you know he was three years old. Right. He had never seen a championship. So to be next to him and watch game seven go down the way that it did, to watch the block, to watch the shot, to watch how they came together in what was an incredible amount of adversity to win, you know, the Cleveland championship that they hadn't had. And you, you know how long it was. It's, it's, uh, that was, that's, that's definitely at the top. And right. hey, things are a little different right now. I'd say for both parties, LeBron and the Lakers are not doing too hot. And then obviously the Cavs one of the worst teams in the league, but for, from a memory standpoint, that one is one that always stands out. Hopefully, you know, we can kind of get back to that point in a few years with Baker Mayfield, but that's obviously kind of a, a little ways to go. Yeah, but hey, you never know. You know, uh, Jimmy Haslam, the uh, the owner of the Browns. Hey, you know plenty about you know plenty about him. Yeah, we so, we do, yeah. and it's yeah. uh, <laughs> wishing the best for you. Not gonna not gonna promise anything. Uh, but. Yeah, you know, trust me. It's uh, God, don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> and then last question: 
Who's funnier, Peter Burns or Marcus Spears? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I I, I I would say Peter, and you know why it is, is because he has so many great stories in his Rolodex that he just pulls out at any point uh, in the show. And it was funny, last week, I, I, I think Jay Cole came out with a new song, and I was playing it coming back from break. And he goes, yeah, crazy story. So one time when I was back out in Denver, uh, I got connected with J. Cole and really got to figure out, like, that this guy is just, like, an awesome dude. And I was, like, backstage with him before he went on to go do, like, a sold-out show. And it was, like, it, it was before he was, like, super famous, but I think the venue was still, like, fairly packed. Right. Um, so he was still, like, up and coming. But he's like, yeah, so, you know, I'm back there with him and we just had an incredible night and really got to know J. Cole. And he's like a good dude. And I'm like, just it's, take a second and imagine what you're saying right now. Right. You're literally saying that J. Cole is a good dude and you can personally say that. And it's so funny because he's so nonchalant about it. And it would just literally pop out of nowhere. And he's like, yeah, so actually one time. Uh, you know, I was out in Denver and it was just, it's, 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 he has, he has so many of those funny stories that can just pop up at any time, um, that, that make it hilarious. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Frank, thank you so much for your time and, and your insight and, uh, congrats again on the great success of everything that you're up to these days. And, uh, maybe we'll get you back on here, uh, down, down the road a little bit, maybe closer to football season. Yeah, absolutely, man. Love to do it. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Frank. Ha ha ha!